You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, Improper Mourning. You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. So this speaks to pagan practices associated with mourning the dead. But God's people were to be different. He gives three reasons for this. Their adoption, their need to be holy, and God's election of them to a special status. First he calls them children of the Lord. This is by adoption. He has taken them into his family. They can call him father. He is the father of the nation. Matthew Henry says their adoption was not because God needed children, but because they were orphans and needed a father. The pagan practices of lacerating the body and shaving the head were in contrast to the holiness God expected of them. These were not neutral customs, but were associated with beliefs God found reprehensible. In Leviticus 19, 27 and 28, he had said, Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. So tattoos were always associated with paganism, and they were to be different. And although tattoos are very common today, even among Christians, I think their connection to pagan practices should be enough of a reason to avoid them. I also personally think it's not wise to take part in a permanent fad, which is an oxymoron. Also, they, the estimate is that 63 to 75% of people who get tattoos regret them. And I know of some people who tattoo the name or date associated with a loved one who has passed on as a way of honoring them. But I would rather be on someone's heart than on their skin. But I digress. The third reason they were to avoid these customs was because they had been chosen or elected by God. He chose them out of all the other nations in the world to be his own treasured possession. This marked them as special. This distinction should be evident in all aspects of their lives. He has set them apart from all other nations for the purpose of relationship. Let that privilege sink in. Verses 3 to 21, Dietary Restrictions The next section reiterates the principles involved in choosing which foods were ceremonially clean or unclean, so I won't reread it. Although the list does differ di slightly from Leviticus 11, which we studied uh, at length uh, then, so please refer there. So these specific dietary laws were given to Israel to further emphasize their distinctiveness from the nations surrounding them. Such differences would make it difficult to interact with the surrounding pagan nations, which was God's intent. The social barrier helped to keep up the religious barrier. They were to obey all that God commanded them, regardless of whether or not they agreed with it or understood the reasons for it. The final verse in this section adds, Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to the foreigner residing in any of your towns, and they may eat it, 
or you may sell it to another, any other foreigner. So foreigners were not under these same restrictions. The prohibition against eating anything found dead was because they didn't know if it was unsafe to eat because it may have died of disease, and because animals had to be killed in a certain way and the blood drained out. The modern kosher diet has some differences from this chapter. Here it is concerned with which meat, fish, and fowl may be consumed and which ones are forbidden. It takes into account the many other food groups um, that we now have to choose from. It is also concerned with how the animal has been killed, processed, and prepared. All traces of blood are still forbidden. And the modern kosher diet divides food into three main categories, meat, dairy, and parava, which is anything that is neither meat nor dairy. In regards to meat, the list is consistent with what we see in Leviticus chapter 11. Dairy is allowed but must come from the ruminant animals included in the list and is to be eaten separately from the meat. But you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So the prohibition about not cooking a young goat in its mother's milk is unclear but is thought to be of pagan origin. They superstitiously believed that such a practice would increase fertility and productivity. It is also the basis of the modern kosher diet that does not mix dairy with meat, even though such a distinction is not in scripture but is only inferred from this obscure verse. So in all these laws of separation, dietary and rituals and later clothing and cooking, the Israelites were being taught that even in the mundane areas of life, obedience was essential. These were simple tests, like the test of fruit in the Garden of Eden, which would teach self-denial and submission to God's word. They were being taught the difference between clean and unclean in God's eyes. These were daily illustrations that they were different from the surrounding nations that had no such distinctions. They were being taught to live God's way. These external separations were to demonstrate their abhorrence of sin. Personal holiness was to carry over into ceremonial holiness. Although food in itself is a neutral thing, it was typical of sin, which was spiritual and moral uncleanness. As with many of the laws, there were health benefits as well, but these were secondary to the spiritual reasons of obedience and separation from the pagan nations around them. So some of these laws can seem strange to us, several millennia removed from the events and culture of the fledgling Israelite nation. Mixed fabrics, banishing lepers, dietary restrictions based on cloven hoofs and cud chewing, not allowing women who are menstruating to worship? What are we to make of these things? Well, one of the main themes in the Levitical or ceremonial laws are separation and distinction from the idol-worshipping countries so that they would not be lured into idolatry. And instead of being like Adam and Eve who focused on the prohibition, they and we should focus on the provision and see that God puts these laws in place for our protection. God told them several times not to behave like the nations they were dispossessing or they would also be vomited out of the land. God detested their practices of child sacrifice, involvement with the occult, and sexual immorality. 
and the main way they were to be separate was to be holy. This would show the nations around them what their God was like. So it's important for us to understand the Old Testament law through the lens of the New Testament and the work of Christ, so that we don't become entangled again. Verses 22-29, to 29, Tithes Be sure to set aside a tithe of all your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. One of the reasons for giving was so that they would acknowledge their dependence on God. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver, and take the silver with you, and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. So this provision for those who lived far from the central location for sacrifices allowed them to exchange their tithe for cash and then purchase the animals for sacrifice locally with that silver. And then at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows, who live in your towns, may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. The provision for the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows was another main reason for tithing. This was their national social welfare program. So when the Israelites tithed, they were giving a tenth to the Lord. This supported the Levites. They gave a tenth of their crops, their earnings, and every tenth animal of a herd or flock. The word tithe means tenth. They were the required gifts of the Israelites equivalent to a tax. But we must not think that that's all they gave. With all the other offerings required, it amounted to much more than that closer to 23 to 35%, and any tithe could not be redeemed or taken back. Matthew Henry explains a deeper meaning to our giving. It was against the covetousness, distrust, and selfishness of the human heart. It promoted friendliness, liberality, and cheerfulness, and raised a fund for the relief of the poor. They were taught that their worldly portion was most comfortably enjoyed when shared with their brethren who were in want. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? They were not to cut themselves, shave their heads, or tattoo their bodies as part of their mourning for the dead, because this is what the pagans did. And although this command is not specifically carried over into the New Testament, the principle is that believers should honor God with their bodies, for they are God's temple. So the reason for this prohibition was their adoption as God's children, their need to be holy, and their election by God as his treasured possession. We are also adopted into God's family. We are to be holy. 
and he has chosen us to be his treasured possession. God is pictured as their father throughout scripture, but he was the father of the nation and they rarely considered him as their personal father. This idea was introduced by Jesus who often spoke of God as my father. Jesus was God's son. He encouraged his disciples to call on God as our father. And these distinctions were to mark the people of Israel as distinct and separate. We are not to be conformed, but transformed. At this point in redemptive history, they were to be distinct from the other nations in many ways, one of which was diet. It's the moral law, the Ten Commandments, that is universally written on the consciences of people, not dietary or ceremonial laws. While all of them together work to convince us that we are sinners, completely unable to keep them, it is the moral law alone that speaks to issues like lust, hatred, lying, theft, and adultery, not whether or not we should eat fish with scales. Jesus addressed this issue. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Also, we have Peter's vision in Acts 10, which showed him that all foods were now permissible. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 didn't mention any dietary restrictions, except that they specified we should still avoid blood. And Paul called Peter out on his hypocrisy because even though he understood this to be true, yet he feared the Jews and avoided sitting with the Gentiles when they were around. And Paul said all things were permissible if received with thanksgiving. If I take part in the meal with thanks thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul also said, But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Thus declaring food neutral spiritually. And, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And failure to keep dietary laws is never included in any list of sins in the New Testament. Because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf, we are no longer under the Old Covenant stipulations and distinctions specifically related to the sacrificial and ceremonial laws, including dietary distinctions, since they were shadows of good things to come. We have liberty, but we must not use this liberty to make a weaker believer stumble. Some restrictions are specific, naming the animals that can or cannot be eaten. Others are general, simply identifying characteristics, since this is not an exhaustive list of all animals in creation. They were expected to think and discern based on the knowledge they were given. 
Likewise, believers are called to walk in holiness and use discernment and wisdom. Since not every conceivable sin to avoid is listed in the New Testament, the many laws and the specific way they were to be carried out was meant to be a burden, so that they and we would see that we are unable to keep them. It makes us see our need of a Savior. God expected the people would tithe to support the Levites. In the New Covenant, we are no longer bound by the stipulation of the Mosaic Covenant, but we are called to give. They are never called tithes in the New Testament, but they are called gifts and offerings or collections. Now no amount is specified, as in Leviticus, uh, but we are to be generous, not grudging in our giving. Some use the 10% as a starting point, however. The New Testament standards are stricter, or some would say higher or loftier. We give generously and sacrificially. We support the poor and ministers. What we give reflects our hearts, how we understood the blessing of God on our lives, and our requirement to live as stewards of all he has given us. A provision was made for those who lived far from the sanctuary in which they could exchange their offering to silver and then bring the silver to the sanctuary and purchase the animals for sacrifice locally. By the time of Jesus, they had set up shop right in the temple court area itself, which led to Jesus cleansing the temple twice for turning it into a marketplace. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 15. May God bless the study of his word.